here in the sanctuary and in the gym this morning as we worship together. We've had the great privilege and joy to center our worship around the Lord's Supper. And since I have the privilege of preaching uh, this morning in Buster's absence as well, I thought it might be good for us to continue to look at the Lord's Supper together this morning because I've found that often we take for granted those things which should continually leave us awestruck. And I believe the Lord's Supper is one of those things that can easily lose its significance, especially for those who may have grown up in the church, and this has been something you're very familiar with. But for newer believers, and especially for non-Christians, perhaps the practice of the Lord's Supper may seem strange and is shrouded in maybe confusing mystery. So today I would like for us to look at 1 Corinthians 11. It is a pivotal passage in the Lord's Supper and talk through this Christ-ordained act of worship. And hopefully we will leave with a better understanding and a richer appreciation for this church ordinance that should fill us as often as we do it with incredible hope and great deep joy. Would you stand for the reading of God's word? We are in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, and we're going to pick up in the middle of the chapter at verse 17 and read from there to the end. And actually, Paul in his letter here has been dealing with the church and all sorts of practices and the way that they relate to one another. And here he turns his attention to the Lord's Supper. It seems that at this point they were confusing the Lord's Supper. They had all sorts of other feasts and meals going on and they just kind of mingled all together and they had forgotten the importance of what the Lord's Supper meant. So Paul says in verse 17, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you (laughs) because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. But when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. For in eating, each one of you goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup, and after blessing, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That It's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judge ourselves, truly, we will not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home 
so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. And about the other things, I will give directions when I come. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the word of God, and we pray that you would use our time together as we look at this to encourage and inspire us to understand and to live in a manner that is more pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, at the risk of giving you more information than you really wanted to know, let us look at some general questions about the Lord's Supper, its history, practice, and significance. What exactly is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper, very simply, is an ordinance of the church. An ordinance is a prescribed practice or ceremony. And historically, the evangelical church has had two ordinances which define a body of believers as a church. Specifically, the two ordinances we recognize are baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are the two activities that believers participate in in order to mark themselves as being in union with Christ and in fellowship with one another as the church body. Article 7 of our Baptist Faith and Message, a governing document of our church, says about these two ordinances. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith. Being a church ordinances, it is a prerequisite to the Lord's Supper and the privileges of church membership. Goes on to say that the Lord's Supper is a symbolic act of obedience whereby members of the church, through partaking of the bread and the cup, memorialize the death of our Redeemer and anticipate his second coming. So the Lord's Supper is also referred to in history, you've heard it referred to as communion or the Eucharist meal or the Lord's table. These are all interchangeable names for the same act of worship. So why do we take this ordinance? Very simply because the Lord commanded it. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all report the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples the night before he died. Each describes Jesus giving thanks or blessing the bread and the cup and then giving them to his disciples, saying that the bread is his body and the cup is his blood. And as far as we can tell from the earliest church records, the church did just that. In the passage we read, Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians, as we read earlier, refers to the event in the life of the church as the Lord's Supper. So the historical origin is that the final supper that Jesus ate with his disciples the night he was crucified and Christ himself is the focus and the content of the Lord's Supper that's why we should take it he commanded it so how often should we take the Lord's Supper there is no clear scriptural regulation about the frequency that we should take the Lord's Supper together as a church it only says here as we read as often as you do this and obviously there's great freedom in this area and churches that are decide for themselves i know churches who take it very sporadically you you know churches that take it maybe once a quarter four times a year our church as well as many churches take it at least once per month some churches indeed most anglican churches and a growing number of all churches are taking the lord's supper every sunday as a part 
of the worship. Again, there is no right way, but I wonder if these churches might have a good idea because taking it every week, because we've stated the Lord's Supper is a reminder of what Christ has done for us. And boy, aren't we a forgetful people. We often forget of the, the joy and the grace of what Christ has promised us. Human beings are forgetful. We forget anniversaries. Teenagers forget to take out the trash. We forget the names of the people we went to school with, and no matter how hard we try, we can't remember where we put those birth certificates we need ever so often. We are forgetful. So we need that regular pattern of reminding us as a church body and as individuals of his great and precious promises and of his mercy and grace. We need that reminder very often. Now, who should take the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is an act of the gathered body of believers in Jesus. It is not an act for unbelievers, although they may be present, and indeed we welcome them to be present. There's nothing secretive about the Lord's Supper. It is a public act. Paul says, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. And so there's a proclamation in the gospel aspect to the Lord's Supper. The word church in verse 18, when you come together as a church, this is the body of Christ, the assembled fellowship of believers. So the participants of the Lord's Supper are the gathered believers in Jesus Christ. Further, that is, that, that, that is why we ask that only those who have come to faith in Christ and are baptized take the Lord's Supper. And, and that is why we ask that you refrain from giving the Lord's Supper to your children and use this time until they have come to a point in their life where they've trusted Christ and understand his mercy. Then use this time. It's a great teaching tool as the elements are passed that you help them to understand what they mean and give them something to look forward to to be able to participate together once they come to faith in Christ as a privilege of church membership. But even if you are a believer, there's a further admonition here we have read and we find in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul makes it abundantly clear that it is possible to partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Verse 27. In fact, he goes on to say that if we don't get this right, we eat and drink judgment on ourselves. Verse 29. What does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? Well, the context of the verse provides an answer. Apparently, the Corinthian believers were abusing the Lord's Supper in a variety of ways. First, there was disunity in the body, as we saw in verse 18. That Paul says, when you come together, there are divisions among you. Second, there was a neglect of the poor and an ungrateful attitude. Paul pointed out that the, the rich were eating all the choice foods and some were going hungry and some were getting drunk. There was just an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Third, there was a misunderstanding of what the Lord's Supper represented. They got it confused with just the regular eating and gathering of the church. Paul clarified the true meaning of the meal as being done in remembrance of the Lord as the new covenant of his blood, and we proclaim his death until he comes. So as God's people who don't want to fall into these errors, what should we do to prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper and partake of it in a way that honors God? First, we need to understand ourselves. Paul says a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks the cup. This means taking an honest look at our hearts and dealing with the sin that we find there. And we ask ourselves, am I, in what areas of my life am I sinning? In other words, what 
what bad things am I doing against God and what good things am I failing to do? And then we confess our known sin before the Lord. Second, we need to understand the reality of who Jesus is and the cross. Because when we look honestly at ourselves and examine our sin, it should so disturb us that it drives us to the cross where we find forgiveness in Christ. And when we partake of the bread and the cup, it should move us not only to tears of overwhelming sorrow because our sins nailed him to the cross, but our hearts should also well up in great joy and delight because that same crucifixion also paid our debts to God and brought us forgiveness in life. So we ask ourselves, do I really understand what Jesus had to go through? Why he actually had to be crucified for my salvation? And do I really appreciate the gospel of grace? And then we thank him and we develop that attitude. Third, we need to reconcile with one another before we come to the Lord's table as best as we can. The Lord's Supper doesn't just deal with our relationship with God. It deals with our relationship with one another as the body of Christ. If we've sinned against someone and we're not willing to repent of that sin, then we're not to partake of the Lord's Supper until we repent and reconcile as far as it can depend upon us. Paul makes it clear that disunity destroys the purpose and the value of the Lord's Supper. So ask yourself, is there anybody I've offended and need to ask forgiveness from and ask yourself is there anyone who has offended me that i haven't forgiven and then we seek reconciliation and offer forgiveness fourth we need to develop a heart of gratefulness and we need to care for the poor it is clearly a theme in paul's exhortation for us about how to conduct the lord's supper in an unworthy manner in verse 20 to 22 we just need to develop a basic heart attitude toward those who are less fortunate we need to cultivate a heart of gratefulness to God for all that we have and give to others. Preparing for the Lord's Supper, though, these things that we've just talked through as we try to prepare our hearts for coming to his table is not to be confused with perfectionism or legalism in any way. The point is not to be sinless before partaking. That would, that would preclude all of us. But rather to have a heart attitude of repentance and reconciliation as we partake the Lord's Supper. Even if our faith is weak, as long as our heart orientation is one of humility and one of desperate need for God, and we are striving our best to walk in a manner of repentance and reconciliation, then Jesus welcomes all who are in need to partake. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. John Piper says no one brings a successful week to the Lord's table, period. Nobody. We bring to the table our sin, but that's the point of the table, is a recognition of our sin and a seeking of Christ's forgiveness. Most of you received a letter from me via email this week encouraging you to prepare your hearts for the Lord's table this morning. While we should be ready to come each Sunday, ready to receive the Lord's table because we should be walking daily in repentance. Sometimes it's helpful to have a reminder that we're about to come to an important ordinance of the church and just to take time to take stock of your life and of your relationships and see if there is anything that we can possibly get right before God before we come to the table. It's important that we do so because the Lord's Supper is a corporate act of weighty, worship by very definition it is a corporate act of worship it's not a solo event and it's a weighty act of worship we should not be flippant 
about it. Now, there may be some confusion on what actually happens during the worship act of the Lord's Supper. Certainly, different churches have, throughout history, had different views and different practices, and maybe you come from a different background here. Roman Catholics believe in a fancy word called transubstantiation. And by it, we understand they, they believe that literally the bread and the wine become the literal body and the blood of Christ. As the priest consecrates them, they actually turn into the physical body and blood of Christ, even though they still look like bread and wine. Lutherans hold that the literal body and blood of Christ are present somehow in and around and above and beneath the bread and the, the wine, like, kind of like the way water is in a sponge. They're both present. Most Presbyterians have argued that the body, most Protestants have argued that the body and the blood of Christ are not literally, physically, or really present, but that Christ is symbolically represented with those two elements of bread and the cup. But most would also add, as we would, that Christ is present spiritually as well in a special way as we take the Lord's Supper together. We believe that the bread and the juice represent the broken body and the blood of Christ. But more than that, Christ is present with us in that worship in a special way during this act of communion. After all, it is his table and we are there by invitation to commune with him. Now, while he has always promised to be with us whenever we gather, where two or three are gathered, he is there always. And whenever we worship, Christ's presence is among his people. But when we are worshiping him through the observance of the Lord's Supper that he instituted, that he blessed, and that he felt so strongly about it that he commanded us to do it and continue to do it until he comes again, it's a holy moment. And I believe Christ is present in a special way. When we obey Jesus' command to take and eat and go through the physical activity of eating and drinking at the Lord's table, our physical action corresponds a spiritual nourishment, a nourishment of our soul that will occur. For Jesus says in John 6, For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed, and he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It is a holy moment an act of weighty worship. So should it be solemn or joyful? Should our observance of the Lord's Supper in our corporate setting be done so with great solemnity or with joyful rejoicing? Yes, both. <laughs> there is an element that we are proclaiming the actual death and suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we need to think long and hard about what it means and what it cost our Lord. But it should also be done with great joy. Knowing that indeed we are forgiven and free now and forever. And that he is coming again. And that is why our church, in our church worship opportunities, we have both at times, times of quiet reflection around communion. And sometimes joyful singing as the elements are passed. It is a time of joyful weightiness with which we come into the presence of the Lord through the Lord's Supper. So what's with the little styrofoam crackers and the cup? Nothing is specified in Scripture about the kind of bread or the way it's broken. And I think it's obvious to assume that the Lord took some loaf of bread and he broke it into pieces and gave it to his disciples. And the symbolism of that 
one loaf of bread bring broken for all is, is indeed rich. And I think it'd be much more meaningful sometimes and closer to that if we could have one loaf and pass it around and everybody break off a piece. And often we've done that as a church here in small groups. But pragmatically, large churches have turned to the use of individual crackers on trays to pass among the congregation. But don't lose that all-important image that these pieces of bread come from one loaf, one body, given for all. The only statement about what was in the cup is given in one verse each in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where the Lord says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So it's called the fruit of the vine, and I don't think we need to get hung up uh, over whether it's simple grape juice or wine is used. Churches use both, and there's nothing in the text that commands or forbids one or the other. We as Baptists use grape juice, and I know that is very disappointing to many of you. <laughs> in some churches, people take to the aisles and actually come forward to take communion with the uh, leaders of the church there to give them that or they go to certain stations in the church and we've done that at times as an act of worship but again pragmatically we pass the elements out to our church and large churches do that now enough about the minutiae of details what i really 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 want you to get this morning is the fact that this is not just some meaningless ritual. And we shouldn't just go through the motions and take it for granted. This is a God-given means of grace that we should look forward to participating in. The Lord's Supper brings glory to God and renewed hope to His people. Church, at the end of the day, (laughs) I think we would all agree that we need Jesus a whole lot more than we think we do. Don't you long to see things happen in your life and the life of our church that are so filled with God's power and glory and His presence that we just can't help but lose ourselves in worship and adoration? Don't you long to have the passion and joy of the Lord that moves us to take great steps of faith and to seize opportunities both individually and as a church for God's glory? Don't you long to be a part of a mighty movement of the spirit of the living of God in our day? I know I do. And coming to the Lord's table, knowing that he is present in a special way in this act of worship, to remember what he has done for us, to proclaim his death, to long for his second coming, and to share in this moment with brothers and sisters in Christ in this holy act of worship, the Lord's Supper. It should put a fire in our bones every time we take it and if you're a believer in jesus christ your name is engraved on the palm of his hand his nail scarred hand and he is your engraved invitation to come and commune with him in the lord's supper the lord's supper reminds us that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus The Lord's Supper reminds us that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The Lord's Supper reminds us that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The Lord's Supper reminds us that if God is for us, then no one can be against us. The Lord's Supper reminds us that greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life 
for his friends. The Lord's Supper reminds us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord's Supper reminds us that the Lord is faithful to all of his promises and loving toward all that he has made. The Lord's Supper reminds us that in our Father's house are many rooms and he is going there to prepare a place for us that he, we will be with him one day. The Lord's Supper reminds us that when we come to Him, we can come weak and heavy laden and He will give us rest. The Lord's Supper reminds us that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. The Lord's Supper reminds us that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of Christ that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Lord's Supper reminds us, church, that soon and very soon we are going to see the King and we will be with Him forever and we will take the Lord's Supper with Him. With all that in mind, we should come to the Lord's table with great anticipation and great longing. We should celebrate God's goodness together we should eat and drink and fellowship with the Lord and thank Him for His forgiveness. And then we should get up from that table and we should go out and live our lives for Christ in joyful abandon and seize every opportunity head on to bring glory to God. The Lord's Supper gives us the ability to live in such a fashion that we don't have to look back over our life and say, if only. We are to live in reckless abandon for Christ now. He is your engraved invitation to feast on Him from now through eternity. That is what the Lord's Supper means. Would you pray with me? God, indeed, help us never to take for granted this act of worship that should bring awe to us. and Help it give fire to our bones and remind us of whose we are in Christ when we take it. And help us then to get up from the table every time and to go out and to live our life to bring great glory to the God who gave his life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.